back to another episode of the Pirate Radio. This is Brian Knutson here with you, and I'm here to uh, try to keep track of these crazy guys. So let's let's start with some introductions and, and some quick updates. So, uh, Joe, let's start with you. How how have things been the last couple of weeks? Uh, things have been mostly okay. Um, it was a slow beginning to the year that kind of ramped up pretty quickly. Um, and naturally everybody coming back from the, you know, couple of days to couple of weeks vacations and realizing how much stuff they had that was, uh, piled on to sort through along with, you know, a couple of dumpings of snow that we've had, uh, on top of, you know, illness that ran rampant through the house. So it's been, uh, it's been an interesting new year. So it's required a little bit of effort to, uh, get over the hump. Yeah, I can definitely feel you there. We've we've been dealing with some COVID in our house and uh, acquisition of my company happened in December of last year. So that kind of put everything on pause until we got back from the new year. And over the last two weeks, things have been quiet. And then at the very end of last week, things started ramping up really fast. So definitely feel you there. Matt, how you doing, man? Hey, hoy hoy. Um, yeah, no, pretty good. Uh we haven't become, you know, first party victims of Omicron yet. You know, there's a potential for that. My wife's a teacher and uh, she's notified one of the kids in the class is positive. So we're kind of playing the waiting game right yeah. now. But uh, yeah, you know, uh, busy week, tons of snow, lots of shoveling. You know, I've been on a little bit of a health binge actually this week. Um, trimmed the beard. That probably cut a couple of pounds off my weight, you know, and Tracking calories gain, getting the exercise in, all that sort of stuff. So, you know, it's only been a week. Hopefully it sticks. But, you know, frankly, you know, overall I feel a lot better. So, uh, yeah, we'll see where that goes. Good for you, man. How about you, Jim? Staying healthy, staying staying sane? Uh, sane, yes. The healthy, I need to, frankly, uh, key off of Matt and find a little more inspiration here recently. The You know, same as these guys, I've been dealing with the same problem of um, we've had a pretty decent amount of snow dumped on us here lately. Um, so that's been its own little challenges um, between that and work. And we've had enough snow in enough random places this week that my daughter has either been out of school or on a two hour delay every day. So, you know, when you work from home, as many pe- people here now probably know and realize that puts its own challenges um, into a lot more things that you have to deal with. Uh, but it's been good to get out and play with snow with her and do that kind of stuff. But, you know, like you dealing with the acquisition type stuff, um, for those who don't know, Brian and I work together and, uh, it's just, been, but it's been good. You know, we've been getting some pretty interesting and pretty awesome projects kind of getting rocking and rolling this week. So it's been, it's been busy, but it's been good busy. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, well, I'm kind of jealous because I seem to be the only one not getting decent amount of snow. So I'd be happy to send Hopefully, you some. Yes, well, it should be dumping on me before it dumps on you, but yeah, here we are. So cool, guys. Well, this week, one of the uh, big pieces of news that have been going on that we kind of wanted to talk about, and we've got some um, interesting side conversations to have about it, is the news that uh, Microsoft is acquiring Activision Blizzard. And, you know, while while we're not really here about gaming, it is definitely a move in the technology space. Um, obviously, Microsoft is um, a big part of of the technology space and the gaming space these days. Um, you know, so there's there's a lot going on there. So 
the news is that Microsoft has intent to acquire Activision Blizzard, who um, is, is a big name in the gaming industry. It's about a almost $70 billion acquisition. So we all thought the LinkedIn acquisition was a crazy acquisition for the amount it was, however many years ago that was. But, you know, this is this is far beyond that in, in every respect. I mean, it, it's worth noting that's in cash, right? Yes. Like, that, that, that's some real money being thrown around at this thing. So, yeah, no doubt about that whatsoever. Yeah. And I'll, you know, the, the question that I've thought, I think it'll be interesting when more details about that cash comes out. I know, you know, a few years ago, one of the big conversations was a lot of these American tech companies offshoring money. And I think Ireland was one of the hot spots. And you kind of wonder when you see deals of this size and that amount of money, how much that plays into this. Is this a way to, you know, easily, you know, onshore cash, if you will? You know, we're, we're spending this money here, we're spending it there, and now it becomes a big consolidated thing. That's just a thought that's been going through my head. Yeah, interesting. I guess I could have just bought a bunch of NFTs too. Yeah. Nothing but monkey. Pictures. So yeah, the for for those of you that have been dealing, I, I think that only works for books. Uh, that that doesn't translate for video games, right? Wasn't that the, the what we figured out Not so far? <laughs> um. So yeah, for those of you that have have dealt with gaming at all in in the past, definitely know Activision and or Blizzard or the combined company thereof. You know, Activision was um was really one of the very early pioneers of the video game industry and in the um, coming onto the scene in in seventy nine. A um, bunch of people left Atari, decided to, to start their game, uh, a game development company that was dedicated to that. Prior to that, all games were developed by the by the platform's uh, company themselves. So they were all first party games. And so Activision walked into this um, into the space, really looking to become the starting, actually pioneering the idea of third party development. And of course, nowadays, that's that's pretty much everybody. Everybody is a third party development. Every platform you buy, you're buying third party stuff off of it. But, you know, back in the back in the late seventies, that was an unheard of thing. And so, you know, through that, uh, we've gotten everything from, from Pitfall and Rampage in the early days to Return of Zork to Quake, Call of Duty, Guitar Hero, all came out of Activision. Um, sometimes as part of their, um, as part of acquisitions, um, some of them, they, uh, they like they picked up Quake along the way, and then they really developed the um, the the franchise from there. Blizzard, of course, those of us that were doing PC gaming in the '90s, absolutely love Blizzard for titles like Warcraft, Diablo, Starcraft. Um, you know, those those are the games I really remember um, having having not, not necessarily growing up on, but you know, when I was really getting into PC gaming um, in the early mid '90s, those those were the games that we were really playing then. And of course, Microsoft's got the Xbox. Um, they've developed, you know, Flight Simulator way back, you know, way pre-Xbox. But, um, you know, Age of Empires, Halo are, are platforms that have come out there and, um, you know, have been a surprisingly big mover in the, in the gaming industry over the years. So that's kind of the, the lay of the land as far as this goes, um, you know quick ground table let's let's get everybody's thoughts here as to what they think are going on like who's who's going to be the winner in this um you know the deal is probably not going to close for a year and a half most likely is what microsoft's estimating so we've got a long time to figure out what it's really going to mean until then they're going to operate as as separate entities um 
but there's there's a lot of potential there for Microsoft, for the gamers, for the gaming industry as a whole, for shareholders of both companies, for the employees of both companies. Um, Matt, let's start with you. I know you've got some some ideas around um, kind of what may happen to the ecosystem of gaming. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, year and a half, 18 months, a lot can happen in that time, right? Um, one of the first things that popped into my mind is, you know, what are the legal implications? You know, could this somehow turn into a sort of antitrust type of situation? Um, you know, along the lines of you've got all these games that existed for third-party systems. You know, um, Call of Duty comes to mind. You know, it's available on the PlayStation. Um, what happens after this, right? All of a sudden, they lose the title. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like, you know, we're, talk we're talking about a company that isn't Microsoft. You know, Microsoft has a history of that antitrust. I mean, are we are we far enough away and far enough removed from the Internet Explorer conversation, you know, for those of us that are old enough in IT to remember that mess, that, you know, this isn't going to be a thing that gets held up? Because, um, I mean, effectively, I'd, personally for me, I'd be pretty hard-pressed to see Microsoft saying, hey, sure, we're going to keep putting Call of Duty on you know, PlayStation five or PlayStation seven. Yeah. Not going to happen. You know what I mean? And that's, you know, how many billion dollars is that? You know what I mean? That's, that's not exactly small money, but that's probably one of the other questions, right? Is, is Microsoft willing to allow that to continue for the fact that they can rake in absolute metric shit tons of cash annually because of those sales and because of keeping those platforms alive, because there's a lot of, of downside that would happen to the industry um, just globally and a lot of advancements in technology if it gets to the point that certain platforms um, can't carry game titles anymore, right? If there's if there's a massive loss in, in stuff on PlayStation side and they're not pushing the limits on hardware and development over there, then eventually Microsoft and Xbox are going to kind of get to the point that they can be a little bit lazier with what they're trying to do. And Microsoft is not unknown to play nicely in that space. I mean, I remember in the mid-90s, you know, any Microsoft software title was only on Microsoft platforms. But as they evolved, you know, now Microsoft games are sometimes available on the Mac. So, you know, the DNA within Microsoft for being a good third-party player, even when they own some of the biggest titles doesn't always imply that they're going to, to only keep it on their own platforms. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's, you know, great points. You know, going back to what you're saying, even about Microsoft, you could get Office for Mac, right? It's existed for years and years and years. Um, what I kind of hope to see out of this, so I'm not a huge gamer by any means, but if they start wrapping these games into the Microsoft Game Pass, and all of a sudden I could pay, I don't know what the cost is per month, like, yeah, it's something I've thought about a little bit before. I've got an Xbox. I play a little bit on the PC. But if I could get all these things, especially the classics, you know, like if I want to play some Diablo, Diablo 2, or, you know, whatever, like that's that's becoming a lot more appealing to me. Yeah, and that actually, yeah, yeah I mean, that actually makes a lot of sense in how you maybe would be able to have a little bit of column A and a little bit of column B, Matt. I know I've seen it a mention of having those games on Game Pass, um, maybe even sooner than later, 
And maybe it's a deal yep. of we own this so we can put it on Game Pass. So you can have one encompassing subscription of your Xbox, but you can still buy it piecemeal if you're PlayStation. That could be a, a key differentiator between how you're handling those platforms. That's a really good point. Yeah, that that could end up being a bit of a mess between where you have to buy games versus where you're forced into subscriptions to be able to play games, you know, that you can essentially no longer actually own other than just for the time frame that you're paying for a membership on something. The other thing that I hope that uh, that doesn't come out around from this is that, you know, hopefully Microsoft doesn't decide to come out with, you know, Windows gaming tablet that then they either never release or, you know, decide to purge after two years because nobody actually likes the hardware or something. <laughs> <laughs> that would never happen from Microsoft. Um, the, the other thing that wouldn't shock me is if we see, okay, they keep releasing them you know, on multiple platforms, but the Microsoft platform, so, you know, the Windows versions and the Xbox might get exclusive content or something like that, right? So basically longer term, try to drive people over to this platform while still, you know, having that, you know, you know, facade of, hey, we're sharing, we're still cross-platform. Well, you know, I, one of the thoughts that I've got with this is, you know, there's there's the legal of how they're going to deal with partners. But, you know, let's be honest with Activision there and Blizzard, there was a, there were other legal issues that we've been hearing about for a while that kind of came down to some toxicity within their, their ecosphere. Do we think... Or what do you guys think? Is this going to lead to meaningful change there? Are there going to be some things that maybe aren't going to be tolerated that were before? Yeah, I, I absolutely think that this is going to drive uh, a lot of change just based on the visibility of a lot of these things in the news um, and, and getting wider than it had been where it was primarily people involved in tech that would see a lot of this stuff uh, until it became big enough that it would get shared very widely on on Twitter and Facebook and, and get into the news. But I, I think it's a really positive change. Um, I think it's also going to be interesting to see not only the toxicity of a work environment or, or how quickly things uh, become visible as to whether or not Microsoft is actually going to impose any of their corporate structure and, and restructure things within um, these gaming companies, or if they're just kind of, you know, kind of stay hands off or, or if they're going to become the invisible corporate overlords um, that just step in as necessary. But it's also going to be interesting to see on the tech side of this, what happens with the gaming development, having the the structure of a company like Microsoft that that is the overarching owner. Yeah, and there's also the, the play around cloud um, and, and how that plays into some of these other games. I, I don't know that and I don't watch Xbox and, and Microsoft gaming closely these days, but um, I'm not sure what kind of plays they've made with with Azure and, and other Azure type services um, that that could potentially have impacts on some of these legacy games that the Activision Blizzard have. There could be some interesting stuff coming out of that, I would think. I, I imagine that you know six to eight months after the acquisition is when we're going to see the announcements, if if not seeing previews ahead of time where Microsoft is going to start offering, you know, cloud gaming that lives inside of Azure. Yeah, I could definitely believe that. You know, honestly, I was going to make a joke about from Joe's comment about uh, Quake for GitHub, but then I Googled it and actually the Quake source code is on GitHub. Uh, Nice. (laughs) Uh, Microsoft had it all along. Who knew? (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah, I see that. I see the terrible part about all this is going to be that you know at some point when I'm going to be using the GitHub Cloud Editor and I you know I hit my normal Quake mode button to flip back and forth between a console in the back end, it actually like spins up a dedicated uh, you know Azure bare metal server that's got a, a GPU. And I start getting charged, you know, a couple thousands of dollars an hour for uh, for a gaming instance that it thinks I meant with Quake mode. Yeah, plenty plenty of bandwidth utilization there too to to add on to it. So quick quick round to kind of wrap this up. Um, who's the biggest winner? Who's the biggest loser? Jim, let's start with you. Well, I think Microsoft is definitely going to be the winner if you know they get something that's going to feed the bottom line and they can take you know what is probably a very important ecosphere to their gaming products that had some troublesome conversations in terms of how the company was being run and in a in a world where we're starting to be more sensitive to such things if they can go through and apply and apply the microsoft you know quote unquote filter to that and level out some of those problems maybe make a thing that's going to make their share, you know, cause it all comes down to share price anymore. Right. It's yeah. going to make their stock a little bit better. I think personally that, you know, the gamers at the end of the day are, where, are going to have some, some road bumps in this. I mean, $70 billion cause you know, what's $1.3 billion between friends um, is a lot of money, you know, and, and that's got to be recouped somewhere. I think for those of us in enterprise IT, we saw, you know, similar with Dell, you know, we're still seeing ramifications of Dell, you know, going on its, it's what, $60 billion spending spree and things that got spun out, things that got spun in, how things are happening there. And, you know, what's this going to equate to? Are we going to see lesser services? Are we going to see lesser platforms? Are we going to see enforced subscriptions like has been mentioned here? Are we going to see situations where, you know, how long have we been, you know, been hard coded that games cost $60, you know, regard, you know, for just your basic game, is that number about to explode, you know, and that's, you know, that's all, all things that are kind of going to weigh in on the end of the, at the end of the day. Yeah, I, I think short term, um, well, actually long term as well, uh, Microsoft's for sure going to be the big winner. I think um, it's going to benefit anyone in the Microsoft ecosystem as far as gaming goes. I think longer term, um, essentially Sony really is going to be the biggest you know loser on this. It might take a couple of years to play out, but you know I think five years from now we'll be looking back and it'll be pointing back to this acquisition as, oh yeah, you know that's kind of when the PlayStation platform changed. Not saying that's going away or anything, just you know that's going to be the inflection point. Yeah, I I think. I think a little bit differently, actually. I'm I'm really hopeful that everybody ends up being the winner in this, but at different points in time. Obviously, Microsoft's going to make their money back, right? They're not investing seventy billion dollars to just be like, "Well, we'll never see that again." You know, that's that's a, a amazing amount of cash that's being invested in this thing that they're going to want to see returns on. But for the big push that Microsoft has had in the past couple of years to start embracing open source to be a lot more open about their software and making it accessible everywhere to everybody on every device. I really hope a lot of that carries over into the gaming world. Um, and even just with having hopefully a little bit more pushback from um, Activision and Blizzard, when Microsoft tries to lock some of these things down, I hope they get Microsoft to see that it's better for everybody if they can continue to make these things available to everybody. Even if we start shifting over a lot more to subscription services, 
to just make these all essentially like cloud plays, right? Where everything is accessible to everybody on whatever hardware they want to consume, then it's totally up to the consumer and people are not locked out just because they're not on a Windows machine or they're not running um, some specific hardware platform that can connect to a future Azure gaming instance or something like that. And I'm, I'm really kind of hoping that they push a lot more towards the way that Nintendo has been handling stuff, especially with like the Switch and everything where they're openly embracing like indie games and being able to put these things into their um, gaming store platform where people can go buy like a $2 game, you know, and I'm, I'm much yeah, more likely to that. buy 15 $2 games than one that's $30, right? Just because I'm like, well, if I play this thing and enjoy it for 30 minutes, it was worth my two bucks and I supported some indie developer. Yep. Yeah. 100%. But I mean, you know, the, the, the other concern that I would have spurring off your idea there, Joe, is, you know, what, what effect is this going to have on the game developer community, you know, in terms of just sheer number of jobs on the market? I mean, Microsoft itself is not a, you know, small game developer already. This is not their first acquisition. This is not going to be their last. They've already got plenty of people under the tent. Are we going to see a consolidation of roles that are available for those kinds of things? Uh, that would be a concern that I would have too, but maybe it'll end up being a net positive. Well, to that end, I think that that is one of the positives that can come out of this is you see this, and we see this in, in IT technology as well, is consolidation tends to spur innovation because there's a lot more people trying to trying to come up with something new. You know, they, they get popped out of that big company and they go start a new company. They, um, you start seeing that consolidation of technologies and all of a sudden innovation starts to, to lag. And this takes usually several years, but that leaves room for new innovation, which is new companies. And you start to see this explosion of, of, of new life, new companies, new startups, that kind of thing. So I think that's, that's a potential positive in the long run there. Um, I think in the short run, Microsoft's definitely going to probably be the ultimate winner. Um, you know, I see Microsoft in a lot of ways that I see. Disney, which is they, they they become a big consolidation play, but yet are fairly good stewards of the things that they buy over time. Um, so I suspect that the gamers will be well taken care of in all this. Microsoft's shown that they know how to they they know how to um, provide what gamers are looking for for the most part. Um, but I think the industry as a whole suffers in the short term because of because of that consolidation. Um, now, one thing that I know for sure we are all going to be losers on is when it comes to buzzwords. And Definitely. for those of you that have read the announcement Microsoft said, they made a they, they stated one of the big plays that they were making with this acquisition was to play in the meta, metaverse. And, you know, there's there's a lot of people questioning that because they don't see any of the DNA needed for the metaverse. But, you know, it's 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 a popular buzzword right now. So we wanted to, to use this news and, and continue that conversation with the metaverse a little bit as to what the heck that actually is, um, what's what people actually mean when they say that. So Wikipedia, to, to use the modern day dictionary um, for all of its flaws, defines the metaverse as essentially a network of 3D virtual worlds focused on social connection. Um you know, it's it's seen some some history over the years. Um, so we generally think of it as it's a 3D world. It's a, a completely immersive world that we live within. Um, the roots of the word metaverse actually go back to a 1992 sci-fi book called Snow Crash, which is a very popular book. Many of you have probably heard of it, if not read it. And for those of you who haven't, you've probably heard of Ready Player One. 
And if you know kind of the basics of that storyline, it's all about this completely immersive 3D VR world that you live in and you run around and, and people live more in that world than they do in the real world anymore. So it's it's a little bit of a dystopian picture of things as we start to neglect the physical aspects of things and people literally are living in storage containers piled higher than a skyscraper. And so, you know, we've we've seen iterations. Um, most of them tend to be around the gaming industry for sure. But we also see um, Facebook talking very heavily about it as um, it being something that they want to play towards. They, of course, are big about the social interaction aspect of things. And and apparently, based on based on the moves that they're making, Facebook sees this metaverse, this completely immersive virtual world as being the next step. And some of the um, some of the early concepts that they've been sharing, which they don't have a whole lot to share at this stage. So again, they're kind of playing the buzzword more than they are the actual technology. But some of the stuff they're showing, like meetings in the metaverse being super duper creepy in my book, I would much rather look at avatars with little, mm-hmm. little speech indicators or um, us all looking awkwardly up and down at our, at our video cameras. Well, when people do decide to turn on their cameras um, rather than sit in a, in a world where I have no idea who the person is on the other side, you know, that, that person that looks like they're female could be male. And, and not that I have any issue with people representing themselves differently than they are. Um, but it, it does engender a disingenuousness within, within people. And, and that's one of the things I do love being a fully remote person, this, this move to fully virtual meetings and, and people using their cameras and being able to see, Hey Matt, you obviously like playing guitar because I can see it in the background. Um, you know, behind me, I have a lot of books and Legos. Um, so it helps that personal connection with people, um, that sometimes we don't even get when we're, when we're in person. Um, but also, you know, I could read your facial expressions. I know I, I, I can start to infer more about what you're thinking when I can see you and you completely lose that in the metaverse. I mean, I don't think we're ever going to be so immersive that when when I grimace at something you say is going to show up in my VR avatar. Yeah. And I I don't know. So the whole the metaverse thing is me, you know, maybe 45 year old me has got, you know, get off my grass type vibes to it. But I am I am definitely one of those kind of people. I'm I am a little concerned about some of the things that are going to come from it. You know, you made the point of, you know, it could be a man representing a woman. Well, that's one thing. I'm far less concerned about that than I'm going to be when we start to see quote unquote metaverse school, which, you know, is already, I would bet something that's on the thoughts of people and you start having, you know, older people representing themselves as children in a situation that's supposed to be a safe space. And how are you going to know those kinds of things? I really, I mean, I, you know, I love snow crash. I love, I, ru- I loved ready player one. I don't know that I'm personally ready for that to be a, a reality. Um, and I hope as a society, we aren't, you know, at that dystopian yet at this point, but it sounds like a lot of people are starting to prepare for it. I do kind of struggle to see, I know that there's been a big talk of this being Microsoft's play into metaverse, but honestly, I don't quite see the tie in there. I don't see where let's buy Activision to get into the metaverse that there's a disconnect there that I'm not seeing. If you guys like really understood how that's supposed to play out. 
Yeah, I, I've got no insight into that point that you just made there, Jim. You know, it's a good point. <clears throat> Maybe Microsoft knows something that we don't, right? There might be some IP going on. Maybe they're, they're just envisioning this as, you know, a social aspect, right? Right now you've got Discord channels and all that sort of stuff. You know, gamers hang out there. Maybe they'll flip that over to a metaverse type thing. Um, longer term, you know, I, I, I don't see this going to that dystopian future, at least, you know, not in our lifetimes. You know, let's face it, an Oculus Rift, you know, that's still a few hundred bucks. You still need a PC to run it, like all that sort of stuff. Not every household has that, you know, especially when you start thinking outside of really North America. So, you know, you're, you're not going to be seeing that. Um, you know, there's a cool idea. I don't know. It seems kind of gimmicky to me. Um, part of me says, hey, I like going out. I like that social interaction with a person, you know, that, that awkward moment where you spill a beer on them or stuff like that. You know, you're going to lose that. So, yeah. And that's that's the thing that, um, you know, being on like the fourth acquisition I've been a part of, there's there's usually knowledge at this stage. By the time you announce an intent to acquire, there's there's a pretty good understanding of some of the skunk works thing, some of the um, behind the scenes beta stuff that's going on. So I suspect that there there could be. I have no inside knowledge whatsoever, um, but I suspect that both Microsoft and Activision Blizzard have been looking at the metaverse, have been looking at VR, probably playing with it, probably doing some cool stuff with it. And somehow or another, Microsoft got wind of it, whether it was, you know, post, hey, we want to acquire you, or it was, you know, Activision Blizzard going around saying, hey, we're looking for an acquisition, someone that can help to um, really enhance that. But it, it's entirely possible that they've got, you know, Second Life VR going on or something to that effect where, Again, it's not what we saw in Ready Player One, but it could be something that that is kind of that next step. It is more immersive. It is more real world than um, than what we had before. Now, I will say I've only used the Oculus Rift, I guess, two or Oculus Two, whatever it's called. Once a good buddy of mine has one, um, and you know, the only pl- game I played in there was um, Super Hot, and like I gotta say, that got pretty immersive pretty quick if you're not familiar with it it's um, like a first person shooter no idea why they call it that really odd name it's um, a little misleading of a title it, it is it is i thought i should clarify that <laughs> Thank you. Uh, um yeah but it's uh it, it, it's pretty immersive right yeah i thought oh this is pretty gimmicky but you know five minutes after you put the headset on you quickly you know realize like you forget that you're wearing the headset almost and then when you take it off, it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot, you know, I'm in your basement or, you know, I'm in this room and all that sort of stuff. So it was pretty cool in that regard. Yeah, you, you totally had it right with in the basement there. That's, you know, I, I feel like a lot of this stuff is OK as we're talking about it in the aspect of virtual reality, augmented reality for gaming. Right. It's it's once we start blending that into, hey, let's try and bring this into the virtual meetings or. Uh, you know, some aspects of the technology are kind of cool when when Microsoft even, I want to say it was either at Build or Ignite, um, maybe a year and a half ago, had shown some stuff where they were able to use augmented reality so that people could do things like, you know, view uh, an actual design where where a CAD engineer was trying to to do, you know, design of a an automobile or something like that, right? And they could actually like look at it in augmented reality to see what it was and 
um, work with that. But to me, I'm perfectly fine with leaving that with a hard cut at gaming. Once it starts blending into real life, that's that's just super weird and super awkward. And I don't feel like, especially currently, the way that society is on track, um, I, I don't see that that would be a good thing for us overall to have that blended reality and everybody trying to push for social connection or even, you know, to Matt's point about the the using the Oculus. I don't like the fact that your, you know, reality hardware has to be tied to your social account profile, you know, that people can use to mine all of your data or just that that's got to be a, a connection there mm-hmm. that you can't just play for the fun of it without having it, you know, tied to something that's got to be uh, a social account like that. Yeah. And I mean, I'll, I'll tell you guys, I mean, I, I, I don't know that as a global society, we're we're even close to ready for that kind of thing. As someone who has worked remote for a couple of years now and last year had, you know, you know, 2020 and 2021 had everybody home all the time and trying to do all the things remotely. Guys, I speaking for myself, we're struggling with, you know, how to interact as people and to, you know, not be good people good human beings and and those kind of things. And this just feels like one of those things that can make that worse. Well, but at the same time, I feel like that the metaverse is a thing that people are looking to help solve those problems too, because it does reduce some of the barriers that cause people social anxiety and stuff like that. They're more likely to interact with actual human beings in a metaverse than they would be in real life, which I agree with you is, is not going to be the healthy thing that we actually need. Um, but at the same time, every dystopian sci-fi novel and, and even a lot of recent history proves that we're going to get it before we're ready for it. We, uh, how we deal with that. I don't know. I, I don't know that there's ever a good answer to that short of at this stage, while it's still very buzzworthy doing everything at each of us individually can to teach our loved ones, teach anybody who will listen, you know, what, what this is, what the implications of it are. Um, you know, when we start talking about some of the crypto stuff, some of the um, nefarious uses of technology can be um, is is one of the things you see a lot of people talking about with it, particularly with NFTs. Um, you know, they're not necessarily a bad thing on their own, but the way that they're being used, maybe. Um, so I think I think a lot of us need to to be cognizant of and understand what it is. I mean, a lot of us are just like, get off our lawn. We don't care. We don't want to talk about this thing. That's just a buzzword. But I think it's also important for us to, to understand it so that we can be leaders and, and be thoughtful people around what the implications could be, because society is going to depend on people, particularly in the technology industry, that can, one, understand what the technology is and, and two, can understand the social and uh, implications of that. And of course, we're not all wired to do that. Um, but some of us are, especially, you know, podcast listeners. Well, and I think it really comes back a lot of it to just all things in moderation, right? Again, you know, like a lot of us have talked before, uh, even as, as old school gamers as we are, you know, with, with going back to our Atari or in television days, I'm totally fine with, with, you know, having a controller in my hand to play a game for a little while, but I'm, you know, a thousand times more likely to be way more interested in going and playing like laser tag or paintball with somebody outside, you know, than, than sitting down and and gaming at the same time, you know, both as a gamer and as a technologist, having the capabilities of being able to sit down and play a game, you know, with people 
that I know around the world is awesome and amazing, right? It's, it's cool to be able to sit like even just on my switch, right? With my kids where they can sit and have just the basic understanding of, Oh, Hey, I'm sitting here playing a game with my dad and also playing with his friend. That's like a thousand miles away just because we all happen to be playing Mario Kart at the same time or something. Right. That's pretty cool to have the ability for social connection. I mean, seeing how huge of a deal animal crossing became once we hit the pandemic and everybody was locked down and it became a cool thing for people to be able to still be inside of their homes, but to be able to slightly check out and get to a remote place just to get their mind off of, what they were doing and being quarantined inside their house all the time. So it's just, it's moderation. And and to me, having that as a hobby and having that as something that you do for fun, where you're able to pick it up and put it down at will, and hopefully you have the will to put it down, that's perfectly fine, right? But it's the blending it into all of your 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 social life. And for the people that are not so proficient in understanding the technology that are just consumers of it. I I'm afraid that like, they're just going to fall off a cliff and start using absolutely everything without understanding what it is because they don't care and they get their dopamine hit from it. Yeah. I think that's, that's a great note to, to end this conversation on is the fact that it's in moderation. It's not a bad thing. Um, and I think that moderation is if we can kind of keep it in kind of the gaming um, helping to connect people without making people dependent on it to connect with people. Um, I think I, I think the metaverse isn't a bad thing. Um, I think we all agree that the, the marketing around it and making it seem like this is going to be the the end the the end game for humanity is obviously very wrong and, and isn't what we should be aiming for. But um, yeah, really really good way to um, to put it there, Joe. So. Um, I think that's a great note for us to end it on. So guys, um, really appreciate it. Um, hope you all um, have a great next couple of weeks until we can join again to, to talk about whatever whatever cool thing we think is worth putting into your ears for 30 minutes. So guys, thank you again. And uh, we'll talk to everybody real soon.